This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Casper.com. If you're looking for a comfortable mattress at an inexpensive price, Casper is a great choice. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Filmcast and using promo code Filmcast. That's $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Filmcast and using promo code Filmcast. Terms and conditions apply. Also, just a quick note for this episode of the podcast, we had a few audio issues. So for the first 30 to 40 minutes, there's some connection problems and you might hear some clipping in the audio. Sorry about that. It does get better by the end. So hang in there and please enjoy the show. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. Good. I've been recruiting through the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, he's the editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com, Peter Serretta. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing great, and it's always great to be here talking about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, uh, we'll be able to do that every year forever. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a very <laughs> regular so. occurrence. Well, if you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. Today is our Rogue One, a Star Wars story spoiler special. All we're doing is talking spoilers for Rogue One today and nothing else. No other topics. Uh, so yeah, that's all, that's all we got for, uh, what's on tap today. So let's get right into it. We talked last week in Slash Filmcast episode 396 about our overall thoughts on Rogue One. Before we get into it though, Peter Serretta, uh, what were your overall thoughts? Did you like Rogue One? And, and specifically, what did you think of Rogue One compared to The Force Awakens? Um, thanks for setting that up, Dave. Uh, I listened to your thoughts. I was listening live uh, while you were recording, and um, I agree with most everything everyone said. I, 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 I do think we're all coming off the high of seeing this movie yeah. just now, and I, I, I want to see this movie again. We're recording this before I get to see it on opening night again. Uh, I, I think I want to see it again before I formulate my definitive opinion, but I, I do think people are being a bit hyperbolic about this movie. <laughs> um, uh, and that's not to say I didn't like the movie. I loved the movie a lot. Um, I didn't love the movie a lot. I, I thought it was a, a, a good movie. Um, I don't think it is better than any of the original trilogy. I, I do, you mentioned Force Awakens. I, Dave, Force Awakens to me, um, not just because of the nostalgia, not just because it's a continuation of the Skywalker saga, but the new characters, I connected so much more with those new characters than I did with anyone in this movie. Really? Uh, yeah. And yeah. I, I can tell I you, can I, well, yeah. I, I, well, I, I cried two times during Force Awakens, which we've talked about previously. And I welled up one time in Force Awakens. That didn't happen to me in this movie. Um, oh, I, I cried like, during this movie. Really? <laughs> I, I did, yeah. There's I definitely like, a big moment where it's like, holy shit, they're going to do this in a I Star Wars when, movie. I cried when he, uh, what's, I can't remember the name of the character. He's walking and he's saying, See, that's how great of a character me. it is. <laughs> well, yeah. The force is with me. I am one with the force. I, the force is with me. I'm one yes. with the force. Yeah. Walking uh, out as the blazer blasts are going. I totally cried. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Everybody had a great last line, I think. Everybody like had their own line. moment, had their own, Which like, is kind of amazing in a crowded movie like this. So I think one of the problems with the movie that I brought up on the podcast but didn't expand on too much is that uh, I do think the side characters, like, it tries to do too much uh-huh. in terms of introducing all these side characters. And uh, and the Forrest Whitaker character, as an example, just felt like 
a waste. I don't know. It, it felt like there was so much more to that story that yeah. we didn't see on screen. And so that, there's the book, right, that sets up all of this. Well, right? isn't he a character from the Clone Wars cartoon series? I think so. Correct. Although he has a different eye color, which makes me skeptical of if that <laughs> was intentionally originally the plan. But uh, yes. <laughs> So, He's a character from the Clone Wars that I think was in a couple episodes. So I think what you're saying is that there's stuff in other properties yes, that yes. helps to fill in some of these blanks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but essentially, you see, uh, you know, he he's a major part of the opening of the film, mm-hmm. right? Where uh, they go on Ben Mendelsohn's character uh, goes onto the planet, or Orson Krennic goes onto the planet and encounters uh, Galen Erso and Galen Erso's family. And, you know, uh, Jin Erso hides out in the thing and then he opens up, you know, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, uh, what's his name, Saw Guerrero, opens up the hatch and then says, hey, we have a long journey ahead of us. And they go on this journey and then the, ne- the next time you see them, there's apparently been multiple character beats that have happened that just have yeah. happened off screen that yeah. they try to explain in this exp- expository dialogue. We and needed to see more of them together. Yeah, sure. I feel like we definitely needed a little bit more connective tissue there for us mm-hmm. to understand you know what the dynamic in that relationship is but at the the same time like i i kind of love the the sort of fear his name instilled in people and like who he was like reputationally like saw guerrera people were like freaking out the rebels like knew who he was and when you brought up his name like things got kind of crazy i i like and forrest whitaker was he was great in that role i feel like he conveyed a lot even though He's referencing things we didn't see, you know? Well, I think that you pointed out a good you, – you made a good point. I don't remember if it was you or Jeff mm-hmm. Devendra, but like that you see different as- aspects of the Rebel Alliance and how – Yes, yes, uh, yeah. Saw introduces the concept of zealotry into the mythos of the Alliance. That there's some right. people Rebels who are, don't so, even want to like – Yeah, they're so it. far off the grid, so extremist in their views that even the Rebels don't want to deal with them. And I really like that concept and I felt like they did nothing with it. You know, I felt like, hey, uh, okay, they're they're sending him this uh, – Galen Erso sending him this pilot with this information. Um, yeah. But then you don't – he's unpredictable. He's going to mess up the pilot's brain and do all this crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. then he sees Galen Erso's message and then suddenly he's sympathetic but it, with it, Jin it, No, it's not about seeing his message. It's about seeing her. Yeah. It's about seeing Jin. All right. All right. So he I, see- I did not get that at all. Really? I don't know. It's, I talked to a bunch of people after the premiere and everybody was kind of confused of like, why was he torturing, you know, Riz Ahmed's character? Why was he torturing he was a spy. him? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Then after, spy. then, then after he gets the, the, the hologram from Jin's father, he should be like, Oh, like we have the data, like whatever. Oh, he literally, let, let, let me put Jin and her entire crew in a jail cell. Wait, what? No, he he literally says to her explicitly, oh, my God, they're using you, too. He's yes. so yes. far gone in his uh, paranoid fantasy that he <laughs> thinks that everyone is out to get him and out to deceive him that he and won't. They sort of are. <laughs> right. No, no, it's exactly right. They, they yes. are he was right there to kill him. Yeah. No, I, I do get that. I just feel it's a bit confusing. And it's also a bit confusing. A couple people I talked to, you know, you cut from – Jin being saved as a young uh, child by Sagrera to her being in jail. And you kind of question, like, you know, did he save her? Did he, you know. Yeah, like, well, what like, happened right. between those two events? It, yeah, it's like, a clear cut. I agree. Yeah, it would yeah, have been nice to have that. a little bit more there. Yeah. But the, the moment, Jeff, that's confusing for me is uh, when Cassian, played by Diego Luna, comes in at the end and says, hey, Jin, we got to go. And then. Uh, Guerrera is just like totally cool with that. You know, like uh, some, something has changed in Saw Guerrera that now he's fine. He's like suddenly yeah. cool with the Rebel Alliance doing what they're doing. Like that, that was the moment that I felt like I, I wish I you could have seen a little bit more. Started exploding? Yeah, I did. I mean, yes. He, I think he knew that. <laughs> Maybe he, he accepted his fate and was like, yeah, that's cool. Fate. He just doesn't so, seem like a, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would just accept his fate though. You know? So I mean, here's in, the, here's the, here's the thing that none of us are bringing up right okay. here, uh-huh. right? That, that I think this movie does in a, in a brilliant way. Uh, we're on the home planet of the Jedi, <laughs> uh-huh. right? This is where the Jedi temple, it, where they mined the shit that they made lightsabers out of, right? I love yeah. that they reference that too. That yeah. feels superbly yeah. geeky for the movies. Incredibly important location yeah. that we've seen yeah. for the first time in the, in the films. 
I mean, it is a direct allegory to like mining the oil from underneath the natives on the mm-hmm. thing, yeah. right? I, I love all that. Yeah. Me too. So here's a guy who, and that in that moment, the, these are people defending what they believe in. They are zealots who are defending this sacred land. <laughs> I mean, does that sound familiar to anybody? They, mm-hmm. They're uh, in, a, in a religion that has become uh, vilified across the galaxy. They are defending their homeland from people that seek to exploit it for the resources that it holds, right? So in that moment when er- everything's blowing up, he makes the decision to stay and die in his homeland rather than flee with them. That's what I took away from it. I never really got the Jedi connection between them, though. Like, we never really saw... No, no, them. it's not that he's a Jedi. It's that yeah. this is a sacred place. This right. is that Even that, that it's sacred to him. Like, I never got the fact that it was super sacred to him. It just seemed like, oh, that's where his his people ended up. The It seemed more sacred to, like, uh, Donnie Yen's character and Wen Zhang's character because yeah. they are they are clearly the monks, the ones protecting that area. Uh, one thing that, I want to say... That is a great reading of that scene, though, Jeff. It is. I, it's not the reading yeah. I had when I saw the film, but it is a good reading. I also I, lack I, most I of that, the, like, the extra geeky context for, like, what the Jedi home plan and stuff is. I wanted to mention, too, like, there are so many allegories or so many, like, uh, analogs to characters or familiar characters from the Star Wars universe. Like, Saw Gerrera feels like the Obi-Wan to me, but in a very, like, in a very twisted way, right? These are but like twists in, on- but like an Immortan Joe version. Of, exactly. Uh, like of, really of twisted concepts. And same yeah. thing with Cassian Endor, right? The first thing we see with him is him just like murdering a source yeah. in cold blood. <laughs> like the dude is, dude isn't doing anything. The dude's like, how are we going to get out of here? Cassian's like, I don't know. Boom, boom. Um, but that's <laughs> cold blooded. Awesome for, the, for the first time, we're seeing the rebels as shades yes. of gray, yeah. right? We're seeing yeah. the yeah. conflict within rebelling against the authority. Like these guys are. You know, when I was a kid, it was clear the Empire was the bad guys and the Rebels yep. were the good guys. But what you're actually saying is, fuck the police. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, that's what yeah. the, what's happening is that and these what is guys the cost are... of war. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. There will be uh, civilian casualties. There will be things like that. I, I do have one point about Sagrera. I think we can agree. Well, I, I think anybody listening to this knows that they Rogue One went through extensive reshoots. And there's rumors <laughs> that they shot for, you know, an amount of time that could have replaced upwards of 50% of the movie. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't feel, feel like that. that. You don't feel the seams most of the time. I, I, I very much didn't feel anything. But in the Saw Gerrera stuff, I kind of got hints that, like, there's stuff edited out or stuff reshot. Yeah. Like, it just seems weird. And when you watch the trailers, like, there's that whole line, what will you become? Oh, which is, like, yeah. like an amazing line that's delivered well, and it's not in the movie at all. Not in the movie. stuff so, from the trailers isn't in the movie. Yeah. yeah. yeah a lo- tons, yeah, tons of stuff. What, what appear to be completed set pieces are in yep. the trailer that aren't in the final film. It reminded me a lot of Fantastic Four, where there's these spectacular shots in the trailer of Josh Trank's film, and then they don't end up in the final film, like hinting at the extensive reshoots that have happened. It frustrates me, though, that people use that as some kind of ammunition f- for something, right? Because judging no, no, the movie... I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I, I'm, saying, I'm saying in this instance, I think this is why this is unclear. Yeah. As much as I, I love Jeff's reading of this, but I don't think that's completely clear in the film. And I feel like there's something missing. Yeah, I, I I feel like it's because of reshoots, right? Uh, I, I will say one thing that was in the trailers that was not in the film that I was actually really happy about was there is that line in the trailer when she says, "It's a rebellion, I rebel," and which is so on the nose and you know hit me like in, in a really not very good way in the trailer. Uh, and that line has been completely excised from the film, right? I don't think it was in the movie. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, but anyway, uh, so. The Saw Gerrera thing, I think we all really like Forrest Whitaker and saw a lot yep. of potential there. And for me, and it sounds like Peter and maybe Devendra, that that potential wasn't quite fulfilled. It was close, mm-hmm. but not quite. Well, like there could have just been a little bit more there, right? I think, I, you know, I, I think you guys are making solid points. And I, the, the point that I will most agree with is the odd edit from her being saved to her being incarcerated. It feels like, yep. well, that it's an odd beat to to but yeah. it, it, i almost in the, in the in the moment i was like well this is kind of cool because yeah. my my expectation has been subverted you know mm-hmm. but i but i don't know if it's a clumsy thing that i just gave it credit for or or if there was actually some kind of you know interesting twist happening mm-hmm. 
Like, in spite of all that, though, I think Forrest Whitaker really sold that role. Like, there, there are small things he's doing with his eyes and with his face where you could see, like, there is so much pain in his face sometimes. Like, when he explains, like, why he did what he did, uh, why he left her behind, things like that. It really sold it to he me. he uses his breathing machine. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. there seems to be so much purpose yeah. behind that. It's so, blue velvet meets Darth Vader. You know? it's, <laughs> it meets Immortan Joe, I would say. Yeah. yeah. It's a great performance. I just wish there had been a little bit more meat mm-hmm. on that bone from a story perspective. But that, that, that's what I feel like with all these characters. All these actors are doing so – they're working so hard and yeah, they're doing yeah, such a yeah. great job. And I do feel a lot of them are like you could boil down their character to like a one line. You know, I, I thing. agree. And, and I'm most I feel this most acutely with the Donnie Yen and Wen Jiang characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, man, those characters could have been so much more like so much more memorable. And, and they are pretty memorable already. But they're the, super memorable. The way they join the group, I just feel yeah. like, oh, yeah. they just show up. And it's because Donnie went, Donnie Yen senses, hey, uh, we need to join these guys. And like, that's yeah. the reason. And it's just like, I mean, um, but I, I think every scene they're in, they really own. Yes. Too, right. They totally, give Donnie totally. Yen time to shine. And I love that initial introduction. Just Dude, like, that it's really scene. funny. That and that fight scene, scene is so yes. bad. And then the, yeah. the moment where they put the hood on him, he's like, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he is fantastic in the movie. I just, oh man, like, overall that those characters i feel like were about an eight and they could have been a 10 if there had just been some more backstory in my opinion Um, donnie yen is the standout character for me mm -hmm. um i wasn't expecting to love his character as much as i did but he totally stole almost every scene he was in he is the one that people are going to be copying at at conventions moving forward like there will be a ton of him yeah and he's it's such a wonderful new archetype right it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's sort of the force sensitive guy yes it's, he's, he's right. not he's not an he's actual not jedi. jedi yeah yeah and it deepens and broadens the con- the concept of what the force is and means and it really it really hit me in the gut like i loved his worldview and his belief system and like the the way that that informs on how other people think about the force you know we have it, so far in the movie series, right, we have Jedi and we have people, you know, Jedi are like the true believers and we have Luke sort of finding out about it. And we have Han who is like, nah, it's all a crazy mystical thing. I don't know. And then we have the Empire, which is like, oh, that old dead religion. Fuck that. <laughs> this is like a, an entirely new slice of the mm-hmm. population that interacts with the force in a completely different way. Like this dude isn't a Jedi. Yeah. But. He interacts with the force. It makes it a lot more democratic in a way too. Like one thing I've, I think Star Wars has always been like, oh man, you got to You got to have the special Jedi. Be the chosen one. It's not the chosen one anymore. And And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any of you are watching Star Wars Rebels, but this season they have a character who uh, I won't spoil anything, but he is force. uh, He he's one with the force, but he is not not a Sith. He is not Mm -hmm. a Jedi. He has force abilities. But he's kind of in the gray area of the middle. And I, I, I love what Lucasfilm is doing in all mediums of playing with that expectations and, and mm-hmm. working in the areas of gray. Yeah. Uh, so we got to just briefly mention Alan Tudyk's character, K2SO. So good. Uh, did yeah. we all enjoy his antics? I thought he was I, really hilarious. I loved it. I, yes. I thought I would have gotten mm-hmm. sick of it pretty quickly, but I think they kept doing new things with him. And his like his responses to everything was just about perfect. Yeah, but, and, you know, I, I read Matt Singer's review of uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, Rogue One at ScreenCrush.com, and he was saying how K2SO is the most human character out of all the characters yes. and he in, yes. he was kind yes. of slamming the film in that way and saying you know the movie I, I didn't really like many of the human characters in the film but yeah man when k2so dies that really got to me in a way yep. that yep. you know some of the other human characters dying didn't even get to me you know well, he's that the was most fun he's the most fun person to hang out with yeah and, mm-hmm. and from a, and conceptually it's a brilliant idea that i'm not sure i've ever seen in any science fiction uh, story like, it reminds me a little of a Knights of the Old Republic, the first one. There was, uh, remember, there was a robot character that was kind of snarky and kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, but this, like the idea that he's been re- reprogrammed and yeah. now can't help but speak exactly what he's thinking at any given time, like right. that concept is genius. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. It's very good and, and well done. Um, and apparently, uh, I've, there have been a whole bunch of interviews, including on Slash Film, but Alan Tudyk, a lot of that was him just like kind of free flowing. 
yeah. in a way. Like a lot of it was just made up. So that's re- it's just him and his comedic sensibilities too. It definitely felt like it. Uh, so we, we got to talk. There's so many things to talk about, but one of the things that really didn't work for I yes. think any of us. Let's do it. Was uh, Tarkin right? Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. And in my opinion, the artistically catastrophic decision yes. to bring him back as a CG character. I mean, I don't know if it was uh, voiced by the same actor, but it it uh, definitely was a they CG they oh, no, visual effectsified him. 90s. Yeah. Oh, he died in the nineties. Okay, so yeah. uh, they CG'd him to make him look the same age as he was in Episode Four, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Every time I saw that character, it ripped me out of the film because he looked like a character from Uncharted 4 yes. standing next to yeah. a real-life person. When right? he appeared on the screen, uh, there were murmurs in my theater. It was not good. It was, it was yeah. more like, oh, crap. This is the George R. Binks moment. This is what we were fearing. Yeah, I have two thoughts. The first is I agree with you guys. It's unfortunate. I, I, I'm giving it a little more leeway just because of, of kind of how cool it was that Moff Tarkin, I think it was an yeah, easily yeah. avoided yes. thing. Like we didn't need it to be Moff Tarkin. And I, al- I also think that it steals what could have been a really amazing moment to see Leia at the end. Right. right if you see, yeah. if you use that effect for yeah. four seconds at the very end of the movie, then it's like, Oh, what? Leia? <laughs> but if yeah. you, if you're, if you have like three or yeah. four scenes with that effect, you're already like, eh. and then at the end, when you see the back of Leia, you're like, well, we're probably going to see the CG Leia in a second. <laughs> I um, almost wanted them not to show her face. I feel like, yeah, I mean, it would have just been so oh. much more effective. Yeah. Just it, close the door or something. I, I, even I, even I, the I three would, seconds that you see Leia, in my opinion, yeah. did it not doesn't look, look good. good. It, but, yeah. you, it but it would have been right. super cool if we had never seen Moff Tarkin. I agree. Right. It would have been right. slightly not as bad. I, I agree they, with you, Jeff. They could have just handled it differently too, right? They didn't have to shoot him straight on. They didn't yeah. need to have him like directly yeah. talking. It's like they were. It's like they were like. It's yeah. like they were daring you to find the errors with it. You know? It's like guys, it we can, we're not. We're not idiots. We can tell this is not a human that uh, you know Ben Mendelsohn is talking to. <laughs> but the other, my other thought is, we're not that far away. Yes. From, yeah. Who do you want to be in your movie, living or dead? Mm-hmm. Just let us know. Do you want you want to cast Marlon Brando? Cool. What age yeah. Marlon Brando would the you Congress like? The Congress, man. Guys. The Congress. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, that's going to happen not long from now, and right. it's going to be impossible to tell the difference. Is this the first example too of like a completely digitally reconstructed dead actor? I mean, we've seen bits of this in like the Sopranos and stuff, but it wasn't like fully CG. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you define that, you know. Like Gladi- there were there were commercial I commercials, mean, Gla- Walker, Gladiator, yeah, commercials like Bruce yeah. Lee and stuff. Um, Marilyn Monroe, Gladiator, but this is like has... major character, major character was speaking a speaking role character. They, too, they like did something different. similar in Gladiator, where uh, yeah. the the actor died halfway through production, and they had mm-hmm. to use CG to bring him back to life. Uh, and you, I, I would argue that the same feeling happened back then where people thought it's clear that they're not using yeah. the actual actor there. Yeah. Um, and so they still haven't got, crossed the Uncanny Valley yet, but they definitely want to show you what it looks like, and that's what happens in this movie. I was going to say, uh, this is the, the complaint I've heard the most about this movie is this yeah. character and this CG. And to be honest with you, it didn't bother me much at all. Um, hmm. Also, of no, Peter didn't wear his glasses when he went to see Rogue One. So. <laughs> uh, no. I also don't play video games, so I don't know. Uh, the uh, but I will, will say that I do think you needed Grand Moff Tarkin to be in the movie. I do think that you know him, especially taking over the Death Star, his relationship with Krennic and that struggle of, of power uh, mm-hmm. between him and, and involving Darth Vader, which we'll get to. Um, I, I, I believe is an important thing to be in this movie. I, I just don't see why I needed to be a CG character at yeah. all. Yeah. But I I wasn't bothered by it. But um, you could have found someone that looked like him that was a good actor. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think. Or even, right? or, yeah. I don't know. Like compare this to like the Westworld effects of making characters actors look younger too. I think I, that's more believable because it's never you're not looking at them closely. It's always like in passing moments, and you gotta you gotta use this stuff more judiciously. It, yeah. It just they they yeah. just put, like rubbed it right in your face. Like yep. it, it, I, I I was trying. Desperately to give them the benefit of the doubt. I was trying for them to let me, I was saying to the movie in my head, let me ignore this. Let me try and find a way to not look at this. And the movie kept subverting that and, uh, it felt very, very bad as a result. I will say this, it it does look like they went for a more caricature look to him (laughs) than a more 
no, no, yeah, and I think this was a choice rather than go the super real like Jeff Bridges and in Tron kind of look. And I, I do think um, you'll see in years to come that this effect will will look better than like you know the super real you know Benjamin Button or you know Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy, uh, where it's reaching the uncanny valley because because this is more of a caricatured kind of cartoon almost um, effect. I think it will. Uh, not look as bad as that <laughs> ten years from now. I think you're I just interpreting it as a as a choice when it just was a yeah. A, uh, <laughs> I, I think ten yeah. I agree. With ten Jeff years completely. from now, when they're doing the special edition of this movie, that is the thing they're going to fix. Like right. obviously, <laughs> yeah. Overall, the amount of fan service and um, nostalgia bits I thought was just about perfect yeah the, the little bits like jimmy smith showing up those those i thought was just the right amount of yes yeah uh, of nostalgia where and and overall the movie made the made the film universe feel bigger rather than what i think the prequel trilogy did which is make the universe feel smaller because it was just constantly bumping into the same six people yeah and i think what, this what movie was, handled it very well i was gonna say it's not just that the prequel movies some of the jokes and appearances are all based on you knowing who those people are or what that reference is. And if you yeah. don't know it, you don't get the joke. In this movie, things go by and you are rewarded if you know it. But right. if you don't, it, it's not that you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And Tarkin is an example of that, you know. Uh, or at least it could have been an example of that if he wasn't so hideous, uh, which is unfortunate. It, it could have been this thing, <laughs> of, oh, hey, that's cool that Tarkin's in it versus – Wow, what is that thing that's taking up most of the screen right now? Tarkin is so ghoulish in this movie <laughs> that I, I I might lose sleep thinking about his dead eyes. You know, I might not be able to sleep anymore what? because I saw Tarkin. But Dave, in Rogue do you One. have what do you sleep? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe where you sleep? Are you sleeping uh, on a, a pile of of dead? Grand Moff Tarkin eyes. That's right. That's exactly what I sleep on right now, and it's causing mm-hmm. a lot of problems. But uh, fortunately, you really get that replaced. I, yeah, no really, support structure there. I think you're right about that, and I think Casper.com is the perfect replacement. You guys, Casper, our sponsor this week, Casper.com/slash/filmcast. Casper is a sleep brand that created a perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small-sized box. In addition to the mattress, they also have an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. But yeah, their mattresses are super comfortable, and they come delivered straight to your door in a box that is like magic. You know, you, you, you look at it, you can't imagine how a mattress could fit in this thing. You cut it open, the mattress inflates, next thing you know, you're sleeping on a very comfortable surface, and you don't need to think about uh, Grand Moff Tarkin anymore, because you're, you know, hopefully uh, (laughs) not staying awake, wondering at how this creature is going to burst out of the movie screen and murder you. Casper understands that buying a mattress can be a challenging situation. Peter Serrata, you you moved to uh, West Hollywood recently, right? Like, what what was buying a mattress? Not not recently, but... um... By ahem, the- ahem. You moved to West Hollywood recently, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, I did, Dave. <laughs> um, no, I will say buying a mattress or going car, sh- uh, going car shopping are the two worst things ever. And uh, especially buying a mattress because then you got to, like, you know, get a delivery day and they rip you off on delivery fees. I feel like if, if, if I was going to get a new mattress, I'd get a Casper mattress. Yeah, I uh, think that's a great idea. You can go get a new Casper mattress right now, actually. Get $50 off one by going to casper.com slash filmcast using promo code filmcast. But yeah, uh, the Casper mattress is risk-free as well. You know, that's one of the biggest things about buying a mattress is you get a mattress. You don't know if you want to keep it. You, you really need to spend a few nights on it before you can decide. Casper offers that ability by giving you a 100-night home trial uh, and if you don't like it, they'll pick it up, refund you everything, because they understand the importance of uh, sleeping on a mattress before you commit. So uh, Casper.com slash Filmcast, use promo code Filmcast, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Filmcast and using promo code Filmcast. Um, free shipping and returns in the United States and Canada. So uh, we hope you guys will consider checking out Casper mattresses, uh, and they are a great sponsor to us, and uh, they deliver some pretty awesome, comfortable, inexpensively priced mattresses. Lots more to discuss in Rogue One 
uh, directed by Gareth Edwards. So we were talking about reshoots and how sometimes you see the seams of the reshoots. I thought like another moment in the film that I thought was kind of unearned was this idea that Diego Luna's character Cassian is going to assassinate uh, uh-huh. Jin Erso's father and then goes and then just decides not to at the last second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it just felt we've just we've just seen him like like you said Devendra murder someone in cold blood for almost no reason. And then the he scene met this after really that, cute girl. The scene then, after that yeah. he gives this massive speech to her about how important it is to follow orders and be part of something bigger than yourself when yeah. we've just seen him not follow an order. It just felt a little bit weird, that whole sequence of events. I think I, I could see what they're trying to say. Like, I feel like he, there was an inkling of a conscience there. And even in that first scene, like where he kills that dude, you, there's a look of regret in his eyes. Like, this is a guy who's been doing this for too long and yeah. he's starting to feel it. So I, I get that. Off, that's paid off mm-hmm. when the, all, everybody volunteers to be part of that mission yes. because they all felt yeah. guilty doing all the bad things that they've done. Yeah. But I do, I do agree that specific scene, like his motivation was really cloudy. Was it was it because he saw her going there, or he was more like maybe he understood like what she meant to him? I don't know. It's all very unclear. Yeah. So that that was the only other moment in the movie that I thought ah uh, that didn't quite mm-hmm. ring true to me. But uh, other than that, everything else from a, an emotional you know character uh-huh. perspective worked for me. I would say I kind of love how I think the this this entire movie starts with the kernel of an idea, right? Like why is that flaw in the Death Star there? And you kind of so just great. built an entire movie around that. And yeah, you, you add all the emotional hooks, you add in all the bits to explain that. And that is a damn good explanation. Sure. I'll yeah. buy that. But that's Can why we... I said, that's why I said in my review of Rogue One on the podcast, uh, last week on the slash filmcast that this is a movie that makes episode four better. Yes. And for me, makes yeah. episode six and seven worse because, mm-hmm. okay, all this amazing explanation for how they had this flaw, but then they did similar things <laughs> in six and seven. You know, seven they, was not the well, same. Well, let's, six was let's, the same. Let's try to fanboy explain this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, in six, Dave, they were already building the Death Star at the same time that they were building the other Death Star, correct? I, I guess they had so, to have, sure, right? Sure. So the so the flaw was inherently still there. <laughs> now, in in seven, they patch it. Now it's sealed into that hole. Yeah, in seven, the the it wasn't the same exact. Law. They actually <laughs> shut down some systems while they were on board. The um, that's right. Yeah, it was a totally Starfield different. Can we? Small can we? Can we admit how much of a dick this makes Luke into? Yes. Like seriously, these people gave their lives. You're gonna fucking close your eyes and turn off the targeting computer? <laughs> you asshole! Really? Well, the, you got one shot on this bad boy? Fourteen of my favorite characters in the universe are dead because they did this thing for you, and you're gonna turn off your targeting computer? Come well, on! No, now, now, when we watch that scene, we'll think, "I believe in the Force," and, and you'll you'll right. think of what Donian's character was saying. Like that, I think that will <laughs> resonate with me moving forward a lot too in throughout the series. Let's talk about some of the other plot developments that happened towards the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> firstly, one thing we didn't mention in our interview, Ben Mendelsohn's character of Kranich, like, did that work for you guys? We didn't yeah. really talk about him. Yeah, he, he was, yeah. he fully, Ben Mendelsohn in full scenery chewing mode. It's fantastic. I thought he was great. I thought he was great. You know, yeah. a bit of a generic bad guy, but Ben Mendelsohn is so compelling that he can make like a generic bad guy seem <laughs> pretty extraordinary. And well, the costuming, yeah. dude. His the costuming. Outfits yeah. were so rad. Yeah. So like the first time you see him wa- walking up in the wind on that bluff, it was so <laughs> awesome. Well, it's very different. Like in the early scene, like the very first scene, he looked a little different. Like he, it seems like he was a trainee, right? He didn't have a full cloak. And then when you get to present time, he upgrades to full on like yeah, his, his uh, uniform is slightly different. In yeah, uh, like in you the could later, tell later his position years. got upgraded. Yeah, and it's funny, like even in his costume, you could see that he is sort of almost like a Vader fanboy too. Or somebody who wants Vader's attention, like, look at me, recognize me. Yeah. I love the relationship he had with Tarkin and just like the sniping they did, right? Like they, they just hate each other. Well, it's just, it's yeah, it's just a- cool that there's this kind of, oh, hey, people in the Imperial, uh, Empire also have office politics, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Which we also saw in episode cool. seven, but yeah. yeah. It's also I, I, cool that they're, uh, the, the, the hubris of the Empire is why no one got the information that, <laughs> that there's a flaw, right? They're like, yeah, eh, yeah. just blow them up. Uh, the one moment that bothered me 
is when Jin literally like yells at him. My dad built a flaw into the Death Star. It's like, yes, you? you're Don't doing do that. You do the thing all the villains do, where they tell you their plan right before the, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it didn't make any sense to me that she would like tell him that, you know, you know, at that moment that he's not going to completely. I mean, I guess you're trying to undermine the use of the machine anyway, so maybe that is why I would do it. I, I, it would have been better if he like maybe sussed it out or sort of had an inkling that something was going on. Because yeah. he seemed like a smart character. Like, he was a guy who generally knew what was up. Kind of like that about him. Like, in that opening sequence, when uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character is like, uh, uh, he says his daughter and child have died. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude is like, yeah, oh, really? That's that's so sad. Yeah, sure. True. <laughs> yeah, right. And we need no, to I, talk I, about Darth Vader, don't we? Yeah, we I yeah. gotta say, I, I love how big of a villain you know, Mendelssohn's character is, and then he goes into that lair, that castle on that lava planet that we've probably seen in episode three. Yeah, is that that the same place? I believe it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't confirmed, but I believe it is. And um, it's it's amazing how much, how little he becomes Mm -hmm. in the the shadow of Darth Vader. And what a cool way to see Vader for that. I mean, it's very, it's very Empire, right? The, bath that he's taking but it's such a cool way and then we see the shadow cast across the wall in the first thing and the just the tiniest bit of the imperial march creeps in into the soundtrack it is it's such an epic introduction for that character in that movie mm-hmm. ah and then you get the payoff you know <laughs> whole movie without jedi and then you get to see Darth Vader just kicking the living shit out of everyone that was terrifying honestly Amazing. Like, he was genuinely scary there yeah that that I mean, is that's like that's darth vader scene in all of the the movies by far yeah. sure i've been in sure it's terrifying it's a terrifying scene yeah yeah uh it's very scary what he, he does I, for a half second i thought they were going to transition directly when he said prepare the boarding party i'm like are we literally moving right yeah. into episode four right now yeah uh which you know pretty close but not exactly all right, I have a question to ask you, Star Wars nerds, which is, is this the first time we've seen a Death Star destroy something that's not planet-sized? Right, yeah. Yes. Is, this, is that correct, right? And so. Wow, that's amazing. It, it is an it's, awesome power to behold, yeah. and the way it happens and the way you find out about it, it's terrifying and visually mm-hmm. breathtaking. It's a uh, tidal wave of destruction. Yeah. It's just, yeah, incredible. Yeah, and also, what is even the point of just destroying one city if you're basically going to impact, you <laughs> well, know, the, the, the five thousand miles out from that? You know. <laughs> yeah, but the point the point is, Dave, that in A New Hope, they say that they're testing it for the first time uh, on a planet scale. I think they very clearly established that what they're intending to do is keep this thing under the radar. Nothing can destroy a planet. Destroying a planet would be like, oh, oops, guess what? And that's the big coming out party when Alderaan is destroyed is like okay we have this weapon it's fully operational we are we are the big dog in the galaxy let's talk about the end of this movie one of the greatest things mm-hmm. about this film is that as we discussed it doesn't feel the need to set up subsequent uh movies and well, it does though well what like, i mean what i mean is it doesn't feel you're, you're not going to have a franchise with what, he, what he means is everybody dies yes what i, I mean, mean is yeah. everyone dies at the end it is nice everybody dies but i do keep <laughs> seeing i see people keep saying man what a nice self-contained story it doesn't have to set anything up no it has to set up the entire freaking <laughs> series no it has to set up a lot but sure it sure is nice. you're 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 misinterpreting the words i'm using davidra i'm saying no, those are the words you're saying <laughs> it doesn't I'm need saying... to set up future films with the characters in yes. the this film that's yes. what i'm saying that's that's, what I'm saying. that's i think that's a lot more clear and then that is amazing that they can just kill them like that scene between them on the beach yeah is heartbreaking i think one of the it's a beautiful star wars image because that is yeah. that is you know that is even it's even more heartbreaking than the end of empire you know that is it's oh our heroes have succeeded but man they lose everything because of it too uh yeah uh, Jeff, I assume you were a big fan of that ending. I, th- I thought it was very moving. Very much. Yeah, I love the ending. I love the entire last yes. climactic battle. Yeah. I like the plan. I like the execution of the plan. The fact that we, you know, the the way the the X wing battle in space is amazing, and the fact that they're trying to take down the shield, and then the plan uh, that that is not Akbar, the non Akbar that yeah. when he <laughs> actually uses a hammerhead as a hammerhead. Um, <laughs> Which is brilliant. 
Um, just just that like, whole scene of pushing the Star Destroyers yeah. into each other is just oh. And seeing the Star Destroyer go into that shield and yeah. take the shield out was epic. something all yeah. the Star Wars kids, everyone who had Star Wars toys, did that at some point in their <laughs> life. You know, and like Gareth Edwards has he has the ability to do it for real. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, you, you guys harped on uh, the CG faces, but they brought back Gold Leader. They brought back a, a couple uh, X-Wing fighters. But very briefly, a, though. Yeah, like, very it's, briefly. It's nicer when, oh, oh, I think I recognize that, and then you cut away. Don't <laughs> yeah. even stare at it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but uh, the climax, right? It, seemed, it sounded like mm-hmm. it all worked for us. I thought, yeah. uh, I, I was just, by the way, a random question. What was behind Tarkin's decision to blow up uh, the whole Scarab base? Uh, you know, I think it's the the hubris of the Empire is mm-hmm. we'll kill our own people. Let's just end the problem in the most efficient way possible. Let's just right, yeah. it all blow it all up. Who cares? <laughs> it just felt like a, a pretty extreme uh step for i i guess tarkin yeah. must have known that the plans were in jeopardy right but especially since that is where all their plans for everything you see the whole server farm and everything like <laughs> which is again sci-fi films have the most wildly inefficient method of everything you know it's like and why is the button? Why are the levers for things always out on the edge of a thing overhanging nothing? You know why? Why is the button? You know, uh, uh, we have the pilot telling the guys you need to move the lever, and the lever's like in a place you would never put a lever. Like it's in the middle of nowhere, just like on a thing in the in the middle of the desert. There's the lever. It's you know, but it's uh, you know that's sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. It's plain old sci-fi, and it felt very Mission Impossible one when they had to get that tape yes. uh, yeah. out of the <laughs> out of the bank of tapes. It's a great heist movie. At the end of the day, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, are there any? You know, another thing I was telling Peter Serretta about this movie is, unlike The Force Awakens, uh, there's not that much more to speculate and theorize about. In my opinion, you know, it feels very self-contained. With Force Awakens, there's all these questions like, who is Snoke? Who is Ray's parents? Like, what happened with the Jedi Academy? All that stuff. Uh, in this movie, I didn't feel like there was a lot more to speculate on. Is, are there any well, lingering questions that you're left with? Well, I think the the one lingering question is that castle that Darth Vader is at, which they they they, they uh, subtitled every planet they showed except right. for that one. Yeah. And I and there's been rumors that this film sets something up that we'll see in Episode Eight, and I'm guessing it's that. And that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. that is. Interesting. I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see that. Peter, I want to challenge you because you you said you know oh, I, no. you think this this movie is is <laughs> you know lower than episode seven in your estimation, and that's fine. I think I I mean I love episode. Oh, by seven. the way, I I do want to say that I and I heard you earlier, Jeff. I think episode seven in like it, it's clear J.J. Abrams had said it like it was their job to recapture the yeah. feeling and to emulate yeah, to, to recapture like, the exact same feelings. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it, 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 that that is the purpose of that movie, and I think that uh-huh. movie does it so well. Yeah, I have a and that's harder that to do than we than you might joke, you know. Yeah, like I, yeah, I think sure. that the job of that movie was so difficult, yeah. like basically making Star Wars possible again. Right. And what you he know? did so brilliantly is create characters that I can't wait to spend more time. Yes, with. like he yeah. he really cast it well. He really created wonderful character moments. I I have an affection for Ray and Poe and all those characters, but I will say this, Peter. I saw episode seven with you for the first time. We were both at the premiere and we both walked, we all walked out and all of us who were there together, all of us friends stood in a circle and all of us had major (laughs) things. There's like, really, do we need to have another death star again? (laughs) It just was another death star. And there were moments of like, that was awesome, but. I don't I think, think I, I don't know. I remember it being more of that's awesome in a couple. <laughs> no, it was, we, there was a lot of that's awesome, but there were also friends of ours who were like, I don't know. And we all <laughs> walked through a lot of stuff of, you know, major kind of like, huh? I don't, I did not have that experience with this movie. I, I had Moff Tarkin and the odd choice to do the, the CG. Other than that, I feel like this movie is so much more, solid and it just it 
And yes, they are trying to do different things. And yes, I do love episode seven. I'm just saying, I think this movie. I don't know. I, I feel like this effective. movie, the, the first half of this movie, while it takes chances, has visual stuff that's amazing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's doing everything that JJ Abrams movie didn't do. It's doing and it's doing it well. Um, except for the characters. Uh, I feel like the first half of this movie is very convoluted with the Saw Guerrera. Uh, sequence and with them having to go to Jin's father just so that she witnesses him dying. Like it, it, it very like I just wanted to get to the plot of them getting the Death Star plan. And once that kicks in, it was awesome. Like I, I was totally in. But I feel like that first half of the movie had a a, a lot of I don't know. It, it felt, was, it felt was kind not, of video game fetch quest, kind of like oh right, no, we got to right. go to really? this. Plot point. Now. I, we gotta I, go to I, this plot point. Yeah. Where I where I will push back on you on that a little bit is that we all knew what this movie was going to be about, and and when you hear it in episode four, you know, when I was a little kid watching episode four, and you hear about this incredible uh, cost of a lot of lives. Actually, that is uh, episode six, as Peter corrected me recently. But <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the Bothans is uh, many yeah. many Bothans died to bring this information to you. That's, right? That's a different moment. Oh, okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. So, now well, I've been double. De- I've been corrected twice. Then, okay. <laughs> when, when the when they're debriefing uh, Luke and everybody yeah. talking about the trench run, what what they have to do, they mention the plans that they got uh, that they found. You know this. So, you know, you, we all thought, oh, there's these like super cool operatives that did this cool thing, and you know, you you kind of formulate that plot in your head, right? What they're so geniusly doing in the first half of this movie is giving you character reasons why yes. they did that. It's not yeah. just, hey, the rebels needed the plans, so we sent the ragtag group of people to go to get the plans. It's no, they th- this girl is inextricably tied to the plans, and her father, and and still retains that Star Warsy thing about it being family. You know, like that. I think is the genius of the beginning of this movie that nobody could have seen coming. And I think is, is really brilliant. I agree too. Like, I think um, that all that stuff, you need that, that is set up. Like this is at least the character we're introduced to isn't somebody who's going to immediately going to go on the suicide mission. And I love, I love that setup for all the characters. And I love the idea that, yeah, it continues the idea of sins of the father as well. You know, like the offspring having to, confront and deal with those issues see one one thing i love about listening to you guys uh week to week and i'm I'm sure the people at home listening to you right now love it is when you give the perspective that is not something i see i'm like i want to believe that is what it was and i feel like that's i love the idea that it is about getting these characters together and it's about learning who they are and getting them to care but it was a very messy way of Getting all that together. And I, I also mm-hmm. want to say that I, I do like this movie a lot. I, I feel like I'm being, I'm the one person being negative about this movie because, <laughs> um, because of whatnot. But, um, but I mean, this is better than the prequels. This is better than, um, you know, the Clone Wars animated movie. Th- th- this is a good movie. I just don't think it's better than any of the original trilogy or Force Awakens. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think that's a completely reasonable point of view. Let me, let me ask you guys this. Uh, the ending really bothered me. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I did not like that the events were directly, like, it's <laughs> like minutes, if not out, like hours, if not minutes, right before episode four. Is it is this pretty, it's, like, that is a ballsy. It's a, it's a ballsy move, move but it's, a, it's, and like, I appreciate if, that. If Wait, Princess, why, why don't you like that? Here's why I don't like it. It's because if Princess Leia is so <laughs> critical to the events of episode four, I wish that it had been set up a little bit more in this film, right? Uh, and <laughs> yeah, she gets mentioned and she's alluded to and stuff by the Jimmy Smith's character, but it just feels like they shoehorned it in there in a way that did not feel organic to this particular story, just so they could have the clean ending that ends with it being like episode it, four opening. It feels like the football player that has the ball for like 10 seconds. What do you mean? I don't understand that. She, she, she's given the Death Star plans and minutes later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She, <laughs> she she had like almost no part in this whole thing. That's right. That's right. So that's the one thing that I don't think that's that's true. I we, we she, she didn't orchestrate any of the events that happened on Scarab, you know, like she just happened to know about them and helped come in at the rescue at the last second. 
right? Okay. Well, I, right. that's maybe a different point than I thought you were making. I, I don't think, I think what we see Vader do a boarding party onto that ship and then not make it all the way onto the ship. So he boards that ship at a much later time. He's not going to be like boarding party again. Let's try it a second time. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, she escapes. It's, there's, okay. Yeah, there's time that between the end of this movie and the start of episode four. Oh, so uh, I don't know, man. It felt like it felt like episode four. It, it felt like it could have been an hour later after. It, well, it almost. <laughs> I feel like it. it I was thought it was leading toward it literally being him boarding that right. ship. Wait, wait, but right. Which, which that, I will say, it is a very magical moment. When yes. he starts walking onto the ship and you see all the rebel dudes with those yeah. helmets and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, are yeah. they going to connect it directly to episode four? Yeah. And it kind of does. And I, I have a brief moment of excitement before I then realize, <laughs> wait a second, what the hell was Princess Leia doing this entire time? And then like, what was the point of her, you know, in episode four? This is why Dave well, she, can't he, enjoy any of that. Yeah, that's right. That's Dave, right. She was, she has a completely different mission. Her, Jimmy Smith literally says, I'm going to put the, my most trusted person in, in charge of getting that Jedi off of that backwards desert yes. planet. Yeah. And that's her job. Like her, and so at a later time when she's working on that job, after, after she's given the plans to the rep, all that stuff, later on when she's working on that job, then Vader finds them again and boards her ship to stop you know, to stop, she's a rebel. Sure. Uh, You're right. That, that, this is a fair point, Jeff. I think what I'm disappointed at is just, uh, and this is t- totally on me, that maybe I had invented some backstory for Princess Leia where she was somehow, as a child. where she right. was somehow more, yeah, as a child, you. where she was somehow more important to this whole process than just, right. oh, she happens to be there when they got the plans, you know? That is the danger of doing a movie like this though, right? Yeah. It's like whatever, you know, we spent so long watching and thinking and geeking out about Star Wars and like, there are all these books. There's all this fiction around it. And then Disney just like up and like, you know, uncanonized much of it. But <laughs> what do you do when you're rewriting these stories? You're kind of erasing people's dreams. Yeah, but can, yeah. but Jeff, Jeff was about to tell me why I was wrong. So Jeff, go she, ahead. Yeah. She does have a huge part to play. You're just not <laughs> seeing it. She, she is the princess of a planet that is who's king i guess is in direct <laughs> opposition to the empire and is and is secretly working for the rebellion she is tasked with a secret mission to go find the last living jedi that anybody knows about she's off to go do that we're not seeing the story of her looking for ben kenobi we we come into that the end of that story where she gets captured by the bad guys at the beginning of episode four, she's off doing a completely different mission and they discover that she's been working for the rebels and they blow up her planet, right? So she's a huge part of the story. This just isn't that story. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant this, yeah, this particular story though, because she doesn't have anything to do with the plans. That's, but that doesn't diminish her involvement in the rebel. Right, plan. right, right. I By the way, I, I love... remember watching episode four and it's, you know, <laughs> help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And the, the plans are in the droid, are they not? Right, the Death yes. Star plans are in R two D two. Right, so right. She, she's the yeah. one that places them there. And anyway, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a last resort measure, Dave. I don't think that was her <laughs> ultimate plan. Right, she didn't. Right, exactly. Yeah, she Come knows on. she's about to get captured by Darth Vader, and so she desperate circumstances. I love the final sequence, by the way, of like those. Just the the rebels like passing the data along. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like playing, yeah. they're doing a relay race with the uh, <laughs> yeah. with the Death Star data. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like how long that guy tries to save himself before he passes it through the hole. He's like, you I, literally, I, 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 you I literally have a disc-sized hole in the yes. wall. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> you have one job. Yeah, but I, I do want to go off on one last rant, guys. I'm sorry. Please. <laughs> but uh, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they started this the Lucasfilm Story Group or Star Wars Story Group, and the whole idea was to get rid of all the past, you know, expanded universe, and they were going to have this completely cross media connected, you know, stories from the books would connect with the movies, that would connect with the video games, that would connect with the TV shows, that would connect with the theme parks. And uh, so far, it's been very disappointing for me as a fan. And I've read some of these books, and they feel like, you know, it feels like they, like if, Catalyst. It, it feels like J.J. Abrams, you know, went and directed his movie, and then you know the author of that book read the script and was like, okay, I got to create a thing before that, leading up to that. And it feels all reverse engineered. It doesn't feel like things are connecting. And we have this TV show called Star Wars Rebels, which is incredible, and it takes place at the exact 
same time period of this movie. And yet, yes, there's some Easter eggs hidden in the background if you can see them. I, I didn't in, in on the big screen. But how great would it have been to have one of those characters in one of those X-Wings above the, the Scarif, you know, and have someone that at least if you had seen that show would have cared about in that firefight. Do you know what I mean? I have like, a feeling it, it sounds like we have opposite complaints, Peter. I'm saying they wrap <laughs> things up too neatly. And you're saying, man, they should have shoved more references in there. Right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not saying references. Like, why, why not have, instead of have all these, like, no-name X-Wings pilots, why not have someone that is in the Rebel Alliance who's in this time period of Star Wars actually be there and actually so you can care about the fate of that person in the air while they're doing the stuff on the ground? I, like, it, it just feels like a missed opportunity. For sure, me. sure. I guess uh, I, I we will see a ton of that. I'm sure we will <laughs> because like they they're going to treat this entire franchise like you know all of Marvel at this point, right? Yeah. They're going to take whatever little bits of story and bring in people and move characters around. Peter, you're going to long for the days when they didn't <laughs> have to do that every single. I, I, I hope so because right now still it feels like the books and the animated series and stuff. It feels yeah, like they, they play like second fiddle, right? Yeah, they're disconnected and like, oh, yeah. we'll put a little nod in the background of the, your movie, but they're not yeah. really. I've heard good things about the Catalyst book. So. It, yeah, it's supposed to be yeah. good. Yeah. Do you guys like the fact that they reserve the opening crawl for the numbered Skywalker stories? Yeah, I, I, I like. Yeah, I, I like that they're doing different things with it. I like the fact yeah. that uh, you, as soon as this movie started, it kind of disrupted my expectations, and I like that. But I don't know how much I'll like that moving forward. We'll see. Yeah, we didn't talk about how brilliant that first shot that looks like a star destroyer over yes. you, but it is just rings of a planet. Oh, beautiful. So- Genius. And, and rings of a planet that are only partially illuminated too. Yep. So it, yeah. it looked almost like a man-made structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was. So there, much there, of this movie I, is just beautiful. Yeah, like, there's just so, so many gorgeous. The scale, Gareth Edwards, is just so great with scale. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it just so much of it is a visual beauty. Yeah. And that's Seeing my an, favorite thing in sci-fi. Just like really showing that amount of scale too. So yeah, yeah. seeing an AT-AT get torn in half. Uh I mean, there's little cool things. Yeah, Yeah, that was really cool when the rebels showed up and started messing up the adats. Yeah, uh, right before they were gonna get you know killed. Um, But uh, yeah, so we've talked about most of the things that I I think we have to talk about. Any any other closing bits that we we might have missed? I'm interested to find out. I know this has nothing really to do with the movie, but I'm interested to find out what the original movie was. Yeah. Um, Tony Gilroy was brought onto this film after they were done shooting, and now he's one of the two credits. He's a co-writer of the film, yeah. So to get that, WGA has to go in and like assess how much of a percentage of the story and characters he changed. And it has to be a significant amount. And to do that after the fact, you know, after a movie is shot is a lot. Uh, but I wanted to bring up, um, you know, the posters and advertising for this movie all show the stormtroopers in the water and there's a standoff and, uh, that whole sequence really isn't in the movie. Yeah. Um, there's also a very, what seems to be consequential brief shot in the trailer of Jin Erso running on that ledge at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? When she's about to activate the satellite dish and there's like a tie fighter that comes down and like is, a, yeah. a, a, a faces off against her. Yeah. That is not in the movie as well. And so it feels like there is a completely different ending that we didn't see in this film, yeah. right? It, 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 some of the behind-the-scenes footage they showed at Celebration, the sizzle reel that's online, shows her on the beach running with the Death Star plans, which mm. if you think back to the movie, she yeah. never gets out of that you know, complex with the Death Star plans. Yeah. So it just makes me wonder, and I, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a criticism on the movie at all. It, it, it's just the, the, the me who has been reporting on this movie for the last three years – I'm just wondering what the alternate alternate version is and if we'll ever see any footage from that. I do wonder if at some point somebody was like, you know, this thing, it's a science fiction. They have technology. We could just we we could just upload the plans. We don't have to have somebody physically bring it out of that building. Like maybe it was a nice way to simplify some of that final plot. (laughs) I had I had an odd thought that is neither here nor there. But, you know, one of the things I've always you know, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge complained about is this idea that these really 
terrible from a visual standpoint holograms like this is mm-hmm. how people communicate in this science fiction world with like sh- truly <laughs> shitty holograms like if somebody invented holograms and they looked like that people would be like no we're not using that <laughs> we, we have we, we basically have better hologram technology than that today right right yeah. <laughs> but it, it occurred to me that maybe the way this science fiction world works is that th- they like literally never buckled down and figured out screens like maybe <laughs> screens aren't a thing because like you know they could it's pers- perfectly yeah. reasonable to think this is the radio equivalent to communication right this is a very <laughs> primitive form of communication for them is these holograms like this is this is their like telegraph like like that's as far as they've progressed on that track of tech tree right, right? Yeah. They let's spend not all their screens. time let's spend all our time on space on right. hyper, hyper, hyper speed <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable to, to to think that like well you know they just start a, a they're starting a, a people about entertainment like entertainment is a blue chick doing a dance in the middle of a <laughs> hologram like they're more about like going from place to place and smuggling spices <laughs> <laughs> interesting thought jeff uh yeah i think that's very very possible uh, it's also like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So I don't think any of the conventional <laughs> tech advancement rules would apply. I mean, technically it's ancient technology, right? Well, shut up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So what else? Uh, I think there's one other thing I wanted to bring up about, um, uh, some of the characters of this movie, but, oh, I was going to say that what I really liked about the movie's look is how lived in the mm. world feels like all the equipment if you look at the set dressing and and all the equipment it looks super gritty and used and and we just it just feels like we're so far away from the incredibly shiny uh plasticky prequels at this point which is mm-hmm. something i really appreciate because if, if george lucas was directing this he would have not had an actual set for a ship he would have right. had them sit in front of a blue screen and like interact with you know imaginary buttons on the wall but instead we actually get like a ship that looks like it's been used that has dirt all over it and stuff uh and i love that this continues the kind of feel that you get from previous star wars films so uh and by previous ones i mean episodes four through six and the force awakens so all right uh i think that's it then for now uh, you know, I do think it's very bold, like that. And, and I do, I do want to say the production designer on this film, Dave, is Doug Chang, who is a legend, and he started on the Star Wars prequels. So it does go to show you that uh, the director it is, has a lot of influence. <laughs> yeah, yes, the director. A lot of people seem to think that yeah. the artists, the artists are directed by the director, and and their vision are is what you see on the screen. Mm-hmm. A lot of the visual effects people, too, from The Force Awakens, same thing. Like, they came from the prequels. I chatted with some of them earlier this year. It is, it's pretty insane. Like, they, they, even they don't like some of the work they had to do. What I'm about to say might sound self-contradictory and maddening, but I really appreciated the fact that this is the only, you know, this is probably the only story we're going to get with Jyn Erso and and Cassian, right? Like, Mm -hmm. unless they do a prequel of this, (laughs) then this is the only story. But at the same time, I went into this assuming that Jin Urso would survive, right? And right, I went into right. this assuming that we'd get other standalone films with Jin Urso's adventures and stuff. And knowing that she doesn't get out of this alive, it makes me feel like, man, I, I kind of wish we... All that stuff, uh, uh, the, the, the problems with regards to her backstory that we talked about earlier kind of become slightly amplified for me. You know, mm-hmm. no, that, I think it's a good thing, man. We can have standalone stories like this. It's, it's we a don't, good we thing. also don't have to explain everything. Yeah. I think that's the yeah, other thing. I guess, I Even guess though this right. is a movie about explaining a big mystery too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's well, okay. It's a, we can, we can just not have all the story guys. That is what the internet and podcasts are for. Wait, can I ask you guys simple. one question? Uh-huh. Hey, this is our first star Wars standalone movie. And it seems like every, every one of us, enjoyed it a lot mm-hmm. um the next one is han solo are we excited for that sure. <laughs> sure i mean less so but i i'm hoping if it is this good i will be on board anyway those are our thoughts on rogue one a star wars story uh we will be talking about this movie probably for a long time to come uh but uh yeah uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to this spoiler special find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com And uh, we'll see you guys next week for our review of 
Did we already say what we're going to review, guys? Oh, uh, Passengers or Assassin's Creed? Oh, God. Um, I've I'm heard one of those is good. I'm seeing both of them. Bad. I'm seeing both of them. So okay. we're, we'll be back next week with either a review of Passengers or Assassin's Creed, probably. <laughs> uh, we'll agree on whatever movie we're going to review <laughs> at a later point in time. Or maybe Thank- we won't. And it'll be hilarious. Yes. <laughs> thanks for it. We'll, we'll both be reviewing different films <laughs> simultaneously. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.